GM friends and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly blockchain gaming roll-up. We may need to change that name into something else like the podcast. So let us know if you think we should. Weekly blockchain gaming roll-up. It doesn't roll off the tongue that good as, as I'd like. Anyway, uh, we are recording this on the morning of the 5th of August. Um, we have Phil Collins, we have Devin Becker and myself, Nico Vereke. Today we're talking about the blockchain hacks. We're talking about Miles. Gabe Layden's new company called Limit Break. There's Binance, KYC, SBTs. So know your customer, soulbound tokens. We have Big Time, who is opening up their infrastructure called Open Loot. And then, yeah, if we have time, we'll go into instant play first person shooters in the browser. All right. Um, so not lots or not that much on the gaming end. Not, like, not. Not too much big news, um, but yeah, some bad news from the more blockchain infrastructure side. So Solana problems again. It feels like every week there's like, oh, Solana this, oh, Solana that. Um, yeah, Devin, you want to talk yeah. about what happened? To be fair, like I, I want to first off say that it wasn't Solana's fault per se, yeah. uh, just because like a lot of the other stuff has been right. Like if they're having problems with their blockchain network going down and stuff like that's more on them. Uh, but I do want to say like, let's throw them under the bus when they deserve a little bit more. Um, just, just to be clear, just because I think some people have maybe prematurely, but basically what happened is, um, and I think this is still on kind of ongoing investigation to like get deeper into it, but basically something to do with the mobile, uh, wallets got hacked into, and, and it sounds like it's possibly some shared code between a couple wallets, the phantom one, uh, was what's Sloan or something like that. Um, the other one, uh, basically somehow they got in and possibly got seed phrases because basically they're, they're able to get into people's wallets and then make transactions as them and drain those wallets. And so that ended up with like, I'm actually surprised that the the number wasn't bigger of losses. Um, Mm. and maybe just a lot of people weren't sitting with stuff in their wallets, uh, that used mobile browsers, maybe just like the people that tended to use mobile wallets didn't have as much overall. Uh, Mm. but yeah, it was a pretty big drain. And of course that, that really sucks for those people. Uh, for those of you wondering like what you could do about it, uh, definitely if you did use a mobile wallet of any kind for Solana stuff, transfer it out to a non-mobile wallet, like create a brand new wallet in like Phantom uh, browser extension or something or outside of it and transfer it over to that um, just to be safe. Like that is currently the advice out there is basically just don't do that. I did that myself. Like I created a brand new, I didn't have any money in my wallet either way, but I was like, screw it. I'm going to create a brand new one. And only use that one just to be safe because mm-hmm. I was a little hesitant to the investigation, like figured out what was going on to even deal with Solana, which was bad timing because I literally wanted to try something on Solana that day. And then I saw about the hack. I was like, all right, I guess I'll wait. I had to wait like a day mm-hmm. or two uh, to be able to do something. But I think it's relatively safe now for the most part. But at the end of the day, as we know from blockchain stuff, nothing's ever guaranteed safe uh, just because it's emerging technology. It's it's going to be emerging technology for a while, and it sucks when money's involved in that not working out. But never never put any more money in the stuff than you can afford to lose right now until this stuff mm-hmm. is like rock solid. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's just goes for investing, but it also goes for interacting with cryptocurrencies in general. Mm-hmm. What is interesting to me, and I think this is going to be a recurring problem, is that so much of what we use is then open source. And I think what a lot of people do is like, oh, it's open source. So someone must have looked at the code and actually checked <laughs> if this you know, right. works and is safe yeah. and secure. Um, and I've noticed this by myself, like uh, I'm not technically strong enough to actually like figure out, like go through code and, and just see like, you know, potential vulnerabilities. And so, you know, I, I make a lot of assumptions while moving around significant like parts of my li- liquid net worth. Um, and, you know, Again, like it's cringe at this point, right? But we're still so early that it's like maybe in five years there's going to be a set of technologies that is is going to be like stress tested, stress tested, and limit tested by enough people where like yeah, that, that's fine to use. Um, but you know we are still on the on the cutting edge here, um, and yeah, these things are going to keep happening, unfortunately. Um, right. And it's it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is one of those problems that is going to be necessary to move towards mainstream where one of the biggest issues with blockchain use cases in general, and especially for a lot of gamers that aren't necessarily in touch with blockchain technology and what's happening is the fact that there's no one to really point to when something goes wrong. Like, Mm. even if it was on Solana here, um, like if you're a user and your money gets taken, you can't go to Solana and ask for it back. There's no, there's no point person. There's no centralized court that you can go try to recover your assets. And I think the idea of 
recoverability is just going to be really, really critical to getting buy-in from a lot of people that are very skeptical. And it's still a big problem that doesn't have a solution. And I don't know what that solution will be, but it feels like that's almost one of those big arguments for web 2.5, where you can, you can kind of get the best of web three with the Mm -hmm. safety of web two. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but I do think that's a, a key gating item for mass adoption. And every time I see one of these, it, it's a little disappointing because it does feel like a step in the wrong direction from a sentiment perspective. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to uh, like the solution. Before you go, Devin, um, one point on that. I've heard two po- like Web 2.5 so many times in so many different contexts. <laughs> I think we're <laughs> going to need like, okay, we have Web 2.4 and Web 2.3 you know, and a half. And then, you know, st- start dis- distinguishing there as well. But uh, sorry. Well, eventually all, all industry go. terms are nonsense. Yeah, eventually it'll all go away, right? Just like blockchain right. gaming, blockchain yeah. will fade off. Uh, maybe the right. the Web 2, Web 3 distinction will also go away. Yeah. Well, even gaming, right? Gaming is actually used as a term for gambling as well. Like the mm. gaming industry, like you could also be referring to gambling. And so it's like, yeah, none of these terms are ever any good. Like we just got to get used to it, right? You got you to gotta put things in context so people know what the hell you're talking about. Otherwise, it's just, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you guys aren't, aren't going to like the solution here that, that, that is probably ultimately going to be the solution, which is banks. That's kind of what they were invented for. And the reason I say that is I come from cybersecurity as well on the red team side, like the hacking side. And you want to know who developed all of the red team pro- like standards. There's like six different standards. No one but banks did. Like no one but banks even put any effort into developing standards for red team penetration testing, like adversary simulation stuff, like actually simulating real attacks and stuff. Like it was just banks. They were the ones who cared enough because they had a huge financial incentive. So they generally are a lot more ahead on cybersecurity. Like you really don't hear about a lot of digital bank robberies. You hear about a lot more physical ones uh, than you do digital ones because I'm not saying they're impenetrable or perfect, but they put a lot more effort into it than than the average person's almost ever going to uh, because that's part of their job. Obviously, there's better ones and worse ones. And, you know, there are kind of indie banks and things like that. So it's not like a perfect thing. But at the end of the day, like we can't have a division. We can't have banks and we can't have non-bank stuff like we already do right now, right? Where there could be stuff where, um, you know, you, you treat banks as your like safe you know storage where you like put most of your stuff and then you have like your liquid, just like you have your physical wallet and your actual bank right now, right? Like use one for your walking around money or whatever and one for your, uh, your, your safe money. And then of course we invented credit cards as a way to like combine the two and obviously the whole financial industry will evolve and we'll, we'll figure out different ways to go about it and, um, and all that. But at the end of the day, like if you do want stuff secure, you do kind of have to go with like a more centralized authority to some extent, um, for now, right? Like maybe, maybe I hope cryptography will come far enough that we'll somehow figure out a way. And I hope I'm totally wrong and banks are like out. That'd be awesome. But for now, I think, uh, that's why I say don't put in anything more than you can afford to risk. I, I personally spread my stuff out like uh, across a ton of different places just because like, like I never know if this, this, for example, centralized exchange will go down. Right. Like, so I'll keep it in there just to have some liquidity to trade between assets. Right. And then I'll keep some in a, in a wallet somewhere. And then some in another wallet over there, like almost like, I feel like I'm one of those dudes burying gold in his backyard, but it's not like a paranoid method. It's more just like, I don't trust any of the technology right now because like there's too many people hacking stuff uh because they're too motivated to because easy money you can see what happens like the the nomad hack the the other hack that happened was a perfect example of that where uh one dude did the hack and i say dude because of course i don't know i don't know the actual gender but uh someone did a hack on the nomad bridge and then everyone else that saw the transaction literally was able to just duplicate the transaction and it went from a hack to a loot like everyone just like looting it which was which was funny like i think that's the first time that's happened where everyone could just go oh i could just repeat that transaction they did and we can all just like rob this ATM. Uh, and, and so that was hopefully more stuff like that doesn't happen. But the problem is bridges. The reason bridges are such easy targets for people wondering why bridges keep getting hit. It's a place where like people think money transfers across stuff, but it's not. It actually is a choke point. The money just sits there. It's like this fairly insecure vault with everyone's money in it. That's meant to be technically transported to another network, but actually isn't really. And I, I the example I use is more like remittance, where the the way remittance works is people transfer money by not really transferring money. They just transfer it on paper, like ledgers, right? And they say like, okay, I, I'm sending money over here, but really they're just marking that down that they owe that. And that bridges basically work the same way as remittance. And so it's like, imagine someone that's a remittance dude that just, I don't know, forgets to lock his door once in a while and keeps all his stuff in a shoebox, like... 
those are going to get robbed. And, and that's unfortunately the nature of bridges right now, sadly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although I, 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 I was going to get really angry at you until you said like, for now, like we need for banks for now. Right. Um, because I, I do believe that we the, the technology is there, right? And I think the, the problems are not fundamental problems with technology. The problems are fundamental problems with, you know, human mistakes and, you know, mis, misuse of this technology. And so, um, you know, I agree that in, in the time being, use like hardware le- wallets. I've never heard of a, a ledger hack except for ledgers hack, which didn't have, like no ledgers were hacked, but their email database got hacked in which yeah. my email was spread. And so I, I get... Man, like I get. Like, you can lock yourself calls. out, though. Be careful. <laughs> also, yeah, but, I mean, like Ledger is, is not not easy, but um, it's definitely worth using. I think, especially if if you're into this technology. And um, yeah, anyway, um, highly recommend like hardware ledgers. Like, doesn't matter which brand. Like Ledger is a good one, but there's there's way more. So, um, what's your affiliate code? I don't have one. It's um, <laughs> I don't shill it enough, although I should. Um, good. All right. Next thing I'd like to talk about is Miles. And so Miles is massive interactive live events. And the reason I had an idea around Miles and, and what, what Bree could do with Miles was um, the interview that Navic did with Matthew Ball. So Aaron you know, had him on, talked to him for 30 minutes. And so Matthew Ball, he's the metaverse guy. He recently wrote his book, which Devin is two chapters in. I still need to get it. Um, I don't even know if they have it in, in Europe already. Anyway. And then, um, and so he's involved in Miles. And so Ma- Miles stands for interact, Ma- oh, sorry, massive interactive live events, and they're cloud-powered, highly engaging live broadcast events that allow allow audience of any size to have a meaningful interaction with the content being streamed. And so this is pretty wide. Like this could mean a lot of things. Um, and so one of the first examples of Miles was Twitch plays Pokemon, where essentially there was a Twitch channel that was playing one of the first generation of Pokemon games, like Red or Blue. And Twitch could essentially, like, just... You could type, like, arrow up, and then that button would be pressed. And so, you know, everyone could actually control the game together, and everyone could consume, like, the content and the stream together. And I think at first it was it was complete chaos, and then after, I don't know, like, a few... Like, they actually managed to finish the game, I believe. Which is incredible, right? Because like one troll could make it so much harder uh, just by saying like, "Oh, arrow down," or constantly like pressing B. Um, and so that's one example. Like another example is Reddit Place. Reddit Place, so P L A C E, was essentially like a canvas with a thousand, sorry, a million pixels, so a thousand and a thousand pixels. And like every hour, you could choose the color of one pixel per user. And so then, like it, it's it's fascinating if you look at like the it's, there's like a, a gifs that show that like the how it changes, and then you have like you know groups getting together and like people from the same country getting together and putting their the country like their country flag on that place, and then you know you see others coming in, and it's it's fascinating. Um, anyway, so why this excites me? Um, oh yeah, so one more point. So the company that is working on this most for the moment is called Genvit Technologies and Matthew Ball's involved with him which is why he might be shilling that the whole time like he's an investor and an advisor Um, and so one of their first uh, miles uh, was Rival Peak which aired I believe on on Facebook what was it? Facebook what? Facebook Live Facebook Live yeah didn't even know the term anyway so there and essentially it is almost like the Hunger Games with a few AI that you could control as a viewer and like I think you you could sh- like help vote on the actions that each AI would take, um, and now they're also working on the Walking Dead um, mile, which is going to be similar. Where I, I guess like there's a, like a, it's it's like a, like a series or a cinematic adventure, and then you can you can actually be involved. And so, man, this was a long intro for my points, which was like I made a post about this on socials. I should probably uh, share it in the Discord as well, which was around like the idea of miles where. Basically, I was saying, like, imagine a Game of Thrones world where every or every main character, and, and when, when I say main you, main, you can go down real low. Like, a, like a, a soldier could be, like, every character is a DAO in itself. You could own a part of the DAO, and, you know, your ownership of the DAO, you could vote actions that they would take, you know, every, every week, let's say. And so, basically, you could get a stake in, a, like, a character. All in, inside the Game of Thrones universe, and there are thousands, and then you can, with that stake, you can start voting on what they would do. And every week, there will be an AI, like a, an automatically generated 
um, episode based on all of the decisions that had been made by all of the DAOs, you know, during that week. Um, and and then yeah, if your character dies, you 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 lose everything. But if they become like the king of the seven kingdoms, uh, whatever, then you know your your stake in the DAO would be worth a shit ton, right? And so essentially, it's like I don't know, reality TV meets like you know these this like these different like fantasy worlds. Um, I thought it was a, was a cool idea. Um, no one agreed with me, or some people, not a lot of people agreed with me. But anyway, so this is something I think is a, is an interesting use case um, for 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 crypto and, and Web three. Just so people know, too, I believe the the Walking Dead one is playable right now. Um, from from what oh. I saw, I haven't tried it yet, but uh, I think it's I think okay. you can try it out right now because I don't think Rival Peaks is live anymore. So if you want to try this concept out, like try the the Walking Dead one. You think there's there's something there? Absolutely. Like I I I. I played the rival peaks one when that first came out because I, I thought the concept was very interesting as well and this idea of like trying to push this sort of as like the future of television or whatever mm. like for example there are are more more tv shows starting to try and do things where like uh the audience is somehow involved in some way or helps shape the narrative um like that's something where like games have actually tried to do some stuff with that for a while like i remember there was like collectible card games where like the actual results of tournaments would determine like the storyline for the next set of cards based off of like which faction won and like so that that idea has kind of been around for a while in different ways of like how audience influence in media can be like a thing and i think you know we're starting to push it with this idea of like ai being part of it right but the interesting part about rival peak was it was i mean maybe not maybe not so much hunger games maybe more survivor but they did stuff where it wasn't just like the idea of like winning the game they had like inner character drama and like relationship kind of forming stuff and like you, you, you had ways to influence kind of the character's decisions, but you, like, don't control the character, right? Where you're, like, almost like you're kind of whispering in the ear, like, do this, do this, do this. Um, and I, I thought that was a really interesting concept, like, where I like kind of like the idea that no individual person has power over this, right? Where it's And that was the idea behind Twitch Plays Pokemon, right? Where it's, like, and, and same with Place, where it has to be a, kind of this collective effort. Like, same mm-hmm. with, like, with the Place, where it was, like, one pixel, right? And one pixel doesn't do much. And so all these things create this sort of uh, idea where you have to rally others to mm-hmm. to like cooperate and so it creates really interesting dynamics amongst people where they kind of self form into these little groups or whether that be a dao or a clan or just like a bunch of random dudes in a discord or whatever uh where people kind of are forced to to collaborate or cooperate in ways that don't have necessarily a goal that's financial or like any real reason other than just because they want to it almost reminds me like wall street bets with the whole like uh meme stocks and stuff where they just started coordinating uh, actually towards financial stuff and sometimes that could be a little maybe destructive or constructive depending on how you want to see it but as we start to get really like tribal in culture because of the all the people and the interconnectedness stuff i think this stuff wait i wouldn't say it's like the future and that it's going to take over everything but i i do feel like i agree that this is kind of this not the start but like maybe the start middle kind of like we're a little past the start and kind of drifting in that direction where there will be more of these things. I hope um, I'm not saying they're, they're awesome, but they're interesting for sure. Yeah, it isn't. It is a really cool social metagame. And it's, it's a little different than what we've seen in gaming in the past where your individual action can matter to the outcome. But what's even more important is the social side where it's, it is about rallying the troops to Devin's point. Um, and, and it's something that we've started to see more in games too. Um, the, the part of the game is the social aspect. It's not necessarily like the inputs onto the digital interface. It's about what's happening outside of the game and how it impacts the end result. And I think, I think it is a really cool way to consume content, right? Content that you have an impact on. And I think that's one of those things where gaming has had an impact on something that's, that's more like traditional linear media where somebody creates content and you consume it. Um, I think that that's gaming's impact on interactive media more broadly, uh, where user involvement, user engagement is part of the experience. And once you've done that, it's kind of almost hard to go back to just passively um, watching something versus experiencing it. And so I, I am really excited to see what, what this looks like at scale. I think there's always room for, for chaos in these types of situations, but with like law of large numbers, it turns into controlled chaos eventually. Mm-hmm. And in the end, um, there, there's going to be some really cool experiences that come out of, of these community-generated um, mm-hmm shows or whatever you want to call them, whatever we end up calling them. 
Mm-hmm. It's better than American Idol voting, right? The original yeah. Idol. That, that's <laughs> maybe one of like the most primitive examples of it, though, right? Like, right. You, but you didn't feel you your influence as much with that, right? Because like it didn't yeah. have that same like interactive loop that you get with these. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why these are like these are a lot more engaging. Like you were saying, they kind of pull you in a lot more than say texting to some number to like place your yeah. vote. There's something different about this that, that I don't. I hesitate to call it a vote because it feels fundamentally different than a vote. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I'm not sure what else to call it, right? Like, it's some mm-hmm. different form of action that's like part of a, a, a group action rather than an individual vote tally sort of thing. And I, I don't know what that is. There's, a, there's, it's, it's hard to describe that difference, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it is a hybrid between reality TV and then like the shows that we all know and love. And you know, I think getting just a bit of of your choices into these these because like how engaged were people with freaking game of thrones like i remember like feeling chills when people died that i like or or died that i didn't like right and then like if 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 you like even add one like a small decision in that whole story um i think just like the engagement is going to go through the roof um and and this this feels like you know it could really rival like game of thrones what it already was was, like cultural phenomenon because because uh, I don't think people could die in the Rival Peaks one, but I'm hoping Walking Dead like they're actually including some lethality. Because like mm-hmm. you said, like that could like someone dying that like thousands of people were trying to help survive and win. Like that's going to be a lot more emotionally impactful than like oh mm-hmm. no they didn't win this survivor challenge. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely actually yeah. am looking forward to trying it after we re- record this. And maybe maybe Game of Thrones final season would have been better perceived <laughs> if the audience was dictating <laughs> how it was going to go. I think yeah. I think that is that is going to be really interesting in terms of feedback that content gets because there's no one to blame but but yourselves. The audience mm-hmm. can't just collectively be angry about anything because it will be the majority ruling the the uh, the core loop. Maybe the future mm-hmm. of uh, democracy is is this concept applied to C-SPAN? <laughs> if you guys are, if you're familiar with that, Nico, sorry, it's like a maybe more US US centric just kind of like government broadcasting channel where you're just watching public hearings and other really boring stuff. But uh could be a lot yeah. more engaging if I could try and like influence the, the ongoing hearings, uh, you know, with a group of people. Let's all, let's all organize a flash mob and, and make like make this filibuster go on or whatever, you know? Okay. We started with a cool idea and now we're turning into, I don't know. That's where it goes. Anti-government. Uh, anarchy. Yeah. Overthrowing anarchy. governments. <laughs> Good. All right. Enough about Miles. I'm I'm excited about this, but it feels like you know to really really break into the main, uh, um, like, it, it needs still a lot of technology. I think especially AI to actually generate what happens from and and then like good different like the screenwriting and stuff. I I, I have no idea how that works, but um, still some time to go. But it feels like it's possible, and it feels like it's going to be interesting. All right. Next piece of news we have Gabe Laden which is a, a name I wasn't super familiar with. So he's the ex-Machine Zone uh, co-founder, and uh, he's been the CEO for like 11 years or something. And he now founded the company Limit Break, which is going to be, well, it, which is doing Web3 gaming. Um, so he's a, he's a well-known guy, um, free-to-play game designer. He did a lot of performance marketing and economy design. And so he knows that stuff. And I think these are skill sets that are going to be important. Um, to build successful Web3 games, especially the economy design part. Um, so yeah, curious to see what comes out there. Any any, any thoughts? I mean, I think Machine Zone was and, and the um, Game War and all that was, was was a pretty big influence on free-to-play economies in general and like the power of like economies can have in a competitive environment and like definitely influenced a lot of mobile going forward. Um, obviously didn't like take over it, but the, the idea of like mid-core gaming kind of really came somewhat from that like obviously like it existed before but that really pushed forward the idea that there's a mid-core gaming audience because of all the money that was made from that and then 4x just became like this huge explosive genre and so it definitely made a lot of influence there um but i I i'm really interested to see how much of the the economy learnings can actually translate over because from what i've seen it's so fundamentally different in a lot of ways uh depending on how you you set things up that I, I, people could get themselves into, into pretty bad trouble thinking they know it 
and that they understand it. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, like if, if, if it's someone who's just like open to that and like, you know, I, I'm coming in to, to learn this and build off my previous experience, but not assume I know everything, then yeah, he can actually be like, you know, forced to be reckoned with there. And at the end of the day, like when, we, when it comes to getting big names into things, it just helps like get attention to it and like legitimacy and stuff like that. So it could be a good thing or bad thing, depending on how you feel about the game, of course, as well. Right. Like if you think it was like something that caused, you know, a lot of pay to win and all this extractive behavior and stuff, then maybe you're not going to see it as a positive. But, uh, you know, there's two sides to it. And I, I hope it ends up being something that is helpful, but it is hard to sometimes strike lightning twice for any entrepreneur. Can yeah. you give some examples about, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Devin, uh, Philip, um, can you give some examples of some free-to-play game design that that gone wrong with Web3 where there's like a significant difference? I mean, the, the biggest significant difference is, is just the, the way that you earn inflationarily in games. Like there's, inflation is a natural part of the, the normal free-to-play game economies because it's contained to just you. And so it's okay to be just you because it's like an XP curve where it can ramp indefinitely and they can scale the things that you buy to, to counter inflation, right? There's the economy adapts to you and your, and your leveling or increasing. Like it's always just this semi-linear path upwards and that's fine. And you use live ops as a way to keep that path going indefinitely. But that doesn't really work with an open economy because people are at different points. They can interact differently. And the most we've had of that is like these, either these 4X games where there's like different kind of economy stuff. And a lot of them are starting to do like resets and stuff like that where you have cycles and other things to like be able to try and keep that under control to like reset the inflation and things like that. Um, but it, the interactivity was limited to stuff like guilds and things like that. And because we didn't have easy ways for different people to interact with each other at different points of the game, like it didn't matter as much. And I'm not saying it's like completely uncontrollable, but it's definitely different in a way that like you can't just take, you know, web two or whatever you want to call it economies and like go, okay, cool. Now there's an open shop everyone can use. Obviously, like we talked about previously, um, you know, there, there is MMOs that have kind of you know gone in that direction a little bit and, you know, had some success or failure with that to some extent. But it's just, it's just one of those things where like mobile free to play economies like had, had gotten so uh, copy and paste to an extent that like there, there's not a ton of innovation happening there and, and now it has to. So hopefully people aren't just thinking they could just coast on what they know basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean on the, on the free to play side too, it's so interesting because free to play games haven't historically had token prices that fluctuate. And so theoretically, you can have like an in infinite supply of a hard currency in a free-to-play game. And as soon as you create a fungible token whose price is constantly changing, like the just the, the tightness of that economy matters so incredibly much. And I think that is something that a lot of people that have balanced game economies in the past just haven't had to deal with. And so I am, I am excited to see how they creatively try to apply that here. Um, I, I feel like this one is, is interesting because it is still so stealth. I know they just... They, they tweeted out earlier today about how I think Paradigm and Standard Crypto led their led their latest round, and from 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 Gabe, one of the one of the tweets was talking about how we will see the promise of community ownership finally de delivered in the form of NFTs. People actually want in games. People actually want to play. And given the experience that you talked about, Nico, like this this team seems very well suited to creating games people <clears throat> actually want to play. I'm curious to see where they take the blockchain integration beyond potentially just community ownership. I think we've talked about that as almost like the base level use case of Web3 in gaming. Um, and maybe the most popular games will just be great games that, that prove out ownership. Um, but I'm also interested to see where they, where they take it beyond that. But it's hard to tell right now just since it is very under wraps from what I've seen so far today. I think at this point we need to stop acting like it's new for, for veteran game developers to come into web three because we have so many piled up right now. It's more just a case of like, it takes time to make games. So we aren't seeing the fruits of any of those. So it's like two, three years from now, there's going to be probably too many games from experienced game developers, but we're acting like every time one comes in, it's like, wow, someone who knows how to make good games. It's going to be really fun. Like, awesome. We finally are going to get that. And it's like, get in line behind like the 50 other people who've said the same thing. And it's like, it's like where you, I'm sure you guys hear this all the time in pitch decks and stuff where it's like, we're going to be the first game that brings web three to the masses. Like we're going to convert everyone. Like 
those kinds of like we're gonna be the first to do X is repeated like ad nauseum for like the first six months of this year. And I'm sure you guys have seen it even worse than I have. Uh, and it's more just because there's this delay feedback like to the games actually coming out like the higher quality the game that you're talking about the longer before you're actually going to see that and so it's like we end up kind of talking in circles while we're waiting like we're just we're we're stuck in the lobby here like okay can we play the games now (laughs) yeah well and it's gonna it'll be it'll be an interesting situation because two to three years from now a lot of this first wave of web3 gaming will have died off just naturally, right? It's, it's, it's not new to Web3. It's just a lot of games fail. That's just a, a reality of life. And a lot of the really veteran game developers may not be ready for another two to three years. And I don't know how the sentiment is going to evolve as this first wave maybe starts to fail off and then these guys show up with their games. So they'll be coming in at an interesting time where the, the market will inevitably have changed over the next 24 months. But... I mean, there's there's a lot of content that's been extremely hyped up that will that will just be out the door by then, and there needs to there needs to be a uh, there needs to be something that keeps people coming back, and maybe it's these guys just swooping in in a couple of years. But there's a lot of chaos both on the bull and the bear side that are gonna take place over the next couple of years, and it's gonna get dark at times, and that's that's okay. But um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, the next, the next 12, 24 to 36 months are going to be a very weird time because we haven't yeah. seen enough games fail yet because it's only been a year since the, the cycle really took off. But mm-hmm. we'll see the timelines that these guys are building on. Yeah. Um, the number of decks I've seen where it's like, the problem, blockchain games are not fun. <laughs> the solution, we're going to build, build a fun game. It's like, oh, man, makes me cringe. And oh, esports we, now too. They're like we're gonna br- oh, yeah. we're gonna be the first big esports game in Web three. Yeah. Or I've heard that a lot too. Yeah, Ugh, man. Like or like a wait. What was it? Play to earn uh, esports enabled um, Web three metaverse. Boom. That's, <laughs> that's your pitch deck. These are, yeah. Did you, did that, you wire? Did you wire on the first call, Nico? That sounds like um, yeah. it was close. I, I brought to my IC um, and they were like blown away. It was it was crazy. Um, anyway, th- these. So I've seen decks like that. I've also seen decks where they're like, you know, we're going to build a free-to-play game, like an, an idle game where, you know, the, most of these idle games, basically, like, you get a resource and then you upgrade. You, the more resource you get, you can upgrade your machinery and shit, and you get more of that resource, and it's like this exponential curve. And then, it's, and, and then there, were, there was a team coming to me, and they're like, oh, we're going to do this, but it's going to be on the blockchain. And I'm like, how the hell can that ever work? Like, you know, you have people playing the game for a bit and they're generating like a trillion resources per minute. And then you have a guy playing the game for the first time and there's like, oh yeah, I just have like one of this resource, um, you know, every 15 seconds. So, um, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. Um, it's not impossible, anyway. but yeah. It's crazy. <sighs> yeah, that's fair. In any case, what else do we have to talk about today? Let me get my, my tab back open. Um, Binance KYC SBTs. Yeah. Devin, you want to demystify what I just said? Right. So, like, KYC has been something that's been kind of on my mind for a while, especially as I deal with on-ramps and, like, problems with KYC. And, like, even when it seems like they're using, like, the same code library and verification system, the unreliability, the number of times I get told the picture is too blurry when I'm using, like, super high-res cameras. And, and it's just, oh, sorry, it's too blurry. And it's like, I can't make it any clearer. Like, how is the average person doing this if I'm using a high-quality camera and I can't make it work? Right or the lighting's not right or like the reflections off or it's like oh I've got to take a picture of myself holding a note with a date on it and just this sort of the hoops that we're having to jump through right now and I know it's an early period are kind of ridiculous and it's like it's the growing pains sort of phase and and I know I personally think identity is going to be huge in the future of the blockchain just because the the things the blockchain does well very much overlap with identity problems. Um, it's not like going to solve all of them, but it's going to be intermeshed pretty deeply, I think. And KYC is a big part of that, right? Where, uh, especially when we're dealing with like financial stuff and regulation and all these other things, uh, and, and just problems with like sock puppet accounts and like bots and all these other things. As we start to try and identify humans in digital space, the blockchain is about digital trust, right? And, and building on that. And so it's a natural part of that. So this idea that we start to try and find ways to import identity to the blockchain and avoid the repetition of KYC stuff 
is really cool. And so to kind of bring it back to what the topic was, was Binance then tried to go, okay, cool. Well, we will KYC people because that's what we do as part of our exchange. And then we'll tokenize that into a soulbound token. So the idea is, okay, it's now into your wallet and uh, and now you can't transfer it. And that wallet is now verified as being that person. And therefore, now we can use that token to provide access to other dApps. So the dApps can go, hey, I need to KYC this person. And but now Binance, I think, is going to regu- like decide who gets to do that. I don't think it's like, you know, open reign. But the idea is they can then open that kind of gate to like say, okay, well, you can verify this person using that token and you don't have to do your own KYC. Now, of course, that's like Binance is its own thing. Like Binance doesn't work in the U.S., right? So I doubt that's going to apply to the U.S. version because Binance.us is kind of its own different beast, uh, which is unfortunate, right? Because of just, I don't know, we're, we're kind of we're wary of like a lot of this uh, stuff over here in terms of like allowing that. So it may be a while before the U.S. is able to participate in this sort of thing, but it is going to be a growing industry. And, I, and it's good to see uh, someone taking the lead and putting that out there. I don't know if it's going to catch on yet. But it's it's super important, and it's going to be really interesting, too, when it comes to the Soulbound tokens. And the reason I say that is right now, people could just create a new wallet like it's nothing. Like, we were talking about the Solana wallets, right? Just like, oh, cool, I popped a new wallet, right? And I can just transfer my stuff over to it. That's going to be really interesting when stuff becomes Soulbound. And that's something that, like, I think a conversation that Vitalik really kind of inspired when he put out some of those articles, and he's kind of pushed that idea a little bit. And maybe that's the next big thing to some extent, right? Where we're talking about, like, you know, tokens and then NFTs, and then maybe it's Soulbound tokens. But of course, those can't be financially hyped because you can't transfer or sell them, right? So they're not going to be the next big financial thing, but they may be in the sense of like KYC or whatever. Because you see big brands like Animoca Brands uh, trying to push KYC for for the other side, uh, other deed sale. They, you know, they pushed it for their Tower Token. In fact, they're even increasing what the Tower Token stuff does, probably to try and incentivize all the people that they kind of lost to kind of come back to that and increase their rewards. But but it becomes tricky because. Um, you, you can't transfer it. And so now all of a sudden that wallet has an intrinsic value that is not fungible anymore. So now you have a non-fungible wallet, which I think is an interesting concept. When you have, when you have soulbound to- tokens in a wallet, that becomes essentially a non-fungible wallet because the configuration or the contents of that wallet are now no longer replaceable. And mm-hmm. so I think I, I haven't even heard the word, the, anyone use the term non-fungible wallet. I just made it up right now, but, but let's coin that for the future for, of soulbound stuff. This is something we talked about a few weeks back, actually, around how our wallets eventually going to differentiate. I think, Nico, I'm sure on the investment side, you've seen a ton of wallets come through your your email inbox. I think attaching identity to these wallets and making making it more valuable to the consumer and making it making almost switching costs or the cost of adding another wallet to your portfolio more painful or just adding an extra step is a really powerful nudge for users to just get comfortable with your wallet and your ecosystem. And so I think maybe that's one of those hooks that will keep people within one wallet because eventually we've talked about the wallet wars will likely compete on you know, transaction fees or pricing or, or whatever, rewards that are going to users for transacting in and out of that given wallet. So maybe the I, maybe the, the the identity layer is really a key retention piece for for these wallets when there's going to be this massive flood of of competitors that are trying to steal users' time, attention, and resources away from them. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with this news and these ideas and, and people working on this because you know my vision of the future of the of, of like interactive worlds is one where people can. Like there's actually value, like real value being exchanged, right? It's like a mostly open economy. And I think, you know, one of the things that keep me up at night is like how it could be gamed by um, like bots and like civil attacks and these types of things. And so, you know, so my vision of the the, the, the metaverse of the future, like however you would define that, uh, needs like as an essential requirement, a sort of proof of humanity where you know you know that you know this actor within that world is a person you don't know who it is right but you just know that it is a person and it's definitely not a bot um and if we can't make that work or happen i, I don't like well my vision of the metaverse like wouldn't really work out at least uh anyway so very happy with with these types of um you know innovations and curious like i'm always pretty bearish on binance and everything that happens on binance smart chain or whatever they call it uh, these days it's um you know, I've always said that I think 
everything in crypto is over financialized, including games. And so, you know, Binance is literally like a trading platform. And so you know that everyone on there is basically there just to like freaking flip shit and try to make some money. And so if you spin out a chain for that and then start building games on there, you're not getting in the best people, in my opinion, right? Um, and that's why I'm usually uh, not very bullish on uh, on things that happen there. Um, and so I don't know the details of that Soulbound token. I, I'm guessing it's 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 on the their own chain, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, not sure how much widespread adoption we'll see from that. Um, and by the way, this is an episode I should record at some point. Um, uh, so we're working as Bitcraft, we're working with a company called Disco. And so they're not working with soulbound tokens, but like non-fungible, I don't know, I don't know the term anymore. Anyway, it's uh, the founder is called Evan and I should get her on because she's she's brilliant. She actually had like a debate with Vitalik around like this identifier in, in like identity um, on-chain. Uh, anyway, that's a, it's a very interesting and important discu- discussion. So um, yeah. we'll, we'll touch upon that more in the future. There was a pretty good article that came out too from Ancient 8 that was exploring the idea of soulbound tokens as like a reputation tracking stuff, the idea of like reputation on chain and stuff like that. And yeah. I think I think there's two sides of it too. I would warn that like there's a dark side to this stuff as well. Like while this stuff is actually really cool, there is a downside. And especially when you start looking at ideas like social credit scores, uh, you know, posed by by countries like China and stuff like that, you can you can get into some pretty messy territory when you start making things soul bound and stuff. And there's also issues of like people selling wallets. So like let's let's say you take a game right where you can't actually trade items. The way to trade items is to sell the whole account, right? And that happens very frequently across all platforms and games, even just whole Steam accounts. That becomes a way people can resell Steam games. Um, I've, I've personally participated in buying secondhand Switch games, where you're ba- basically buying an account to log into, and then I've lost access to them. Uh, because, I mean, I don't want to bur- besmirch a whole country, but uh, but those some of those Russian fly-by-night kind of sites are probably not the best places to buy uh, Switch games from. But it was an interesting experiment, right? And seeing that idea of, like, it's a soul-bound game, in this account and I can buy it by buying the whole account. And we, we have this idea of like buying fake identities and stuff like that in the world, you know, where you can buy like a whole fake generated passport. And so we may see people doing stuff like that where it's, it's not truly proof of humanity. It's proof of identity because you don't necessarily, because you could take a bot and have it, you know, you could buy some other identity that's generated as a token on a soulbound token and then have the bot use that. Like I've thought about that problem a lot for like bot verification where you could have something that only a human could do and the human could do the verification and then from that point on let the bot drive, right? It's like, it's like imagine you're driving like a Tesla in full autopilot and you see a cop switch back to manual and then you're like, I oh, see I'm driving officer. And then as soon as the cop's not looking, it's back to autopilot. Like it's that kind of idea of like, because things could be transferable, it's not going to be perfect. Right? It's going to be this idea of like, it's better than what we had, but it's not going to be 100%. And, and we're going to have to have like terms of use and other ways of like trying to enforce it when we catch people and any, t- any typical social enforcement stuff where we have to like punish people and stuff like that. And, and it will get messy. And you see problems like with identity theft in real life. If someone steals your identity, how hard it is to deal with fixing that because your identity is like so permanent. Like if someone steals your social security number in the US, like you can't just generate a new one. And it's the same problem with biometric identity, right? Where if you're using your fingerprint for everything and someone finds a way to clone your fingerprint, you can't change your fingerprint. You're kind of screwed at that point. Or like, let's say you lose the password to your soul bound wallet and now you can't regenerate that KYC because it detects it as a duplicate. And now you're locked out of your own identity. So there will be problems as well. I do want to say like, I think it's cool and it's awesome. In a, in a lot of ways, but let's uh, make sure we're uh, prepared for some of the, the sticky situations to come. 100%. All right. Then we have the next topic for uh, this episode, big time and open loot. Devin, you want to intro that? Yeah, it's uh, I, I always like to see that these, these game companies that like, you know, they build up stuff and they go, you know what? Like what we built was really useful. We learned a lot. I bet other people would benefit from this. Like you take something like Unreal Engine that was built for Unreal, like the game. And then they're like, cool, let's, let's actually let other people use this. And, you know, Doom Engine or Source Engine. So many of these were just built for a game. And they're like, well, it was built well enough. Let's have other people use it. And uh, even Unity, I believe, was actually originally that way. If I remember correctly, they were building a game engine and they're like, you know what? Uh, screw the game. Let's just use the engine uh, and sell that. And so it's, it's, the, it's mm-hmm. the dog fooding concept, right, where we kind of build our own thing. And so in this case, big time, a game which is not like fully out yet. So I, 
I am a little skeptical. Now, obviously, there's a certain a lot of stuff in Web three that happens even before a game is out. That kind of and they're, they they've proven that stuff to an extent, right? Like we can sell to- NFTs and we can do tokens and they've done a lot of stuff, and so they could, they proved they could do that stuff. Um, obviously, it's maybe a little early to say like they could do everything that they're promising. But basically, they, they've kind of gone, well, let's make it sort of a productized service um, where we're just basically saying we'll, we'll help other people do that. They're not clear about whether or not they're charging, how that's going to work, whatever. It's more like apply to be a partner. They've got, I think, three partners interested right now, uh, like officially. Um, and, and it seems like a lot of cool stuff, especially for people coming over from like mobile or other places where there was a lot of stuff handled for you, like financial stuff, like, oh, let Apple or Google handle the financial stuff, right? Like payments and all that and it's really messy to do that like we were already talking about in uh with the soulbound stuff and everything else in blockchain to deal with like taking payments chargebacks uh fraud stuff um customer service around that even and like so they're they're saying that they will handle a lot of this stuff for you and so i hope that's true because like this will just help onboard more people that just don't know how to deal with this right now there's like a lot of tooling being built out there in terms of like here's a thing that will help you add web3 to your game in terms of like the tech side, but I actually haven't seen a lot of people on the service side as much as I have seen on the tech side. So this is actually a good complement to a lot of the engines and tools coming out there. Um, but I do hope we get to see a little more detail of how it works because right now it's like a little bit vague on, I think it's openloot.gg, I think is the website if I remember right, or .com, something like that. As a gaming infrastructure investor, I love the, the idea around this where you really are hedging your bets on your single content risk where even if you build something out that you think is really cool and your piece of IP doesn't necessarily hit, I mean, worst case, or I guess semi-worst case, you come out with some really cool infrastructure that makes a lot of other game developers' lives easier, odds are you'll be able to license that to some extent. It doesn't mean it's going to be the next massive infrastructure play within the gaming world, but, I mean, it really does hedge your bets a little bit while still giving you the upside of creating that that in-house ip so uh, devin to your point we're, we're, we've seen a ton of tooling that's designed to bring web 2 to web 3 and there's a ton of tooling across all of all of web 3 uh in terms of making making developers lives easier um but in the context of building a game while while building this out for others i just think it's a it's a really cool content hedge it looked like it was about half their team maybe on it. Because if you look at the team for that and the team for big time, it's like about half of them copied over essentially. So I don't think they're like full-time on it either. I think in the sense of like using the, you know, they still have people working primarily on big time from the looks of it. Um, so hopefully that doesn't affect the launch of their game as well, since right now it's more than early access for certain pass holders. But that's good. Like, like at least, at least there is an early access to play. And I, I've heard mostly good things, but I haven't had a chance to try it myself. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're interested in this topic, I think, uh, you know, Philip and myself and then Anton uh, Bachmann from Play Ventures talked about this quite a bit in uh, like last week's, I believe, Metacast episode. So if you want to listen to that, uh, feel free. Um, I think one of our points was leave building the tools to the tool builders and leave building the games to the games builders. And then we had um, Luke Gibson from Playmint in our Discord who was like, yo, dudes. <laughs> I'm building games, and the people that are building tools have no clue what I need as a right. game builder, and so um, which is 100% a very fair point. Um, and so I guess my, my thought now was, you know, if you want to make a bet, would you make a bet on like professional tool builders, or would you take a bet on games builders that are like, hey, we needed this tool to build this game, and it feels or it looks like other people also need this tool to build their games, so maybe we should, you know, spin this out. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I, I think that. Our conversation evolved as you, me, and Anton talk through it. And to Luke's credit, I do think that it's an overgeneralization for, for anyone to just say, let the infrastructure builders build the infrastructure and let the game developers build the games. There, there obviously needs to be some crossover to make informed decisions on both sides there. I think from, from our perspective, the, the games teams that are building infrastructure should be building that infrastructure because it truly is novel and their vision for the content couldn't exist without it. And I think that's very different from just iterating on your own version of something else that's already existing from a third party. And I think the example I was using was like wallets. We've seen a lot of game teams build wallets and there are going to be a ton of wallet options for them out there. And is that really a needle mover for how they build their game and how their game works? Probably not. But 
That being said, there are an infinite number of, of novel use cases that game teams can build and be truly value add, not only to their own IP, but potentially to others in the big time example. So I think, I think that's generally where I land on, on yeah. game teams building infrastructure. It's, it's more just a matter of making sure that building the infrastructure is worth your time and actually needed to push your efforts forward. Yeah, it's funny because I'm in the position where I am building infrastructure uh, and I'm not building it as part of a game, but I'm building it for game developers. But I have been a game developer many times. So it's like, it's kind of a weird place where it's like, I, yeah, I know what game developers generally need, but we're also finding out what game developers need right now for sure. And then also like, but not building it for a specific game. Cause like you could also argue that building it as part of your game is also a distraction, right? Where you're like, you got to divide your attention and stuff like that. So it is kind of a spectrum, I think in terms of like, it's not black and white, but at the same time it's, it is healthy to have a little skepticism uh, of people that, that aren't dog fooding as much um, in the sense of like, Maybe they don't know the needs. And I think Luke's point as well was, was more just on the UX side of things as well, where people like, they might build the right tools, but they don't understand like the workflows the same. But to be, to be fair, not every game developer works the same either. Like if you look at internal tools for game developers, like they're all over the place too, because they were handcrafted, like hacked together pieces over time. Like even game engines, when they first come out, uh, like the Unreal Engine and stuff like that, it took a lot of iterations to get to the point where it's usable by other people in a smooth way. Same with Unity, same with Source Engine, like uh, especially Source Engine. That was one that was really like, I feel like it was built towards kind of what Valve wanted to do. And then like other people kind of be like, I don't know if I want to use that because it doesn't do exactly what I'm trying to do over here. And that's why you end up with things like where uh, Unity versus Unreal, for example, where Unreal is like you can access the source code and that's our big advantage over Unity because you can customize it to your needs versus thinking the off-the-shelf thing's going to serve everyone. So it's it's a very interesting spectrum overall, I think. Uh, and, and I think there's a place for everyone. But to your point about people building thousands of wallets or thousands of things, like now's the time to be doing that. And then like let some fail. You know, it sucks. But this is kind of like evolutionary time where we need to have a bunch and then kind of let the market decide. And then then at least hopefully we'll have like a better thing because of that, because of the competition. Mm-hmm. As an industry participant, I would say build more wallets. As an investor, I would say don't go build Just don't wallets. pitch them to you. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, build a wallet, don't pitch them to yeah. me. Exactly. Good. All right. Um, we still had instantly FPSs, but we can perhaps talk about that sure. next week. Um, I don't think it's super timely, urgent. Um, I guess maybe housekeeping for the fog now. If you haven't already, make sure to introduce yourself and introduce or introduction channel, um, that is important, and you will soon see why. Um, all right, good, that's it. Um, thanks, Devin, Phil, fun conversation. I always feel like I learn a lot here, so uh, these are great. And it also seems like from all of our conclusions, it's like, yeah, I guess we'll have to see, so um, I guess we're gonna- <laughs> That's why it's the future of gaming, right? We, we can't years. see yet. <laughs> that's true, yeah, that's true, that's true. Good, all right, hope. You enjoyed this. Hope you learned something. Hope you, we sparked some ideas in your brains. 